Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Q&A on the Holy Spirit was given by Darren Roundson and Bill Dogtrum on September 12th of 2010. Hey, so today um, we're going to kind of finish uh, just this interlude, if you will, um, to the Holy Spirit. And so we thought we would take some of your questions from last week and answer them in a forum-like discussion. Um, Bill's going to finish with a 10-minute, or he's going to start off with a 10-minute kind of wrapping up of last week that will answer some of those questions that were asked from last week. But if you are sitting, um, uh, you probably, maybe three of you in a row have a piece of paper. And that's a blank piece of paper. And that's for some of you that have questions. So if you um, have any questions that you want to ask right now, we might not get to all of them, but questions regarding the Holy Spirit. Would you write down those questions as I speak, as Bill's going to start and talk? Um, I will collect, after he's done, I'm going to collect all of them. So you can pass them to the center of the row, and we'll pick them up, and we'll go through, and we'll hopefully answer your questions. Does that sound like fun? You guys for it? Okay, so Bill, take it away, and we'll go after that. Okay, um, the other thing, too, is if in the course of our conversation something comes up and you want to just kind of clarify or, or, or follow on or something like that, Feel free to uh, let us know that, and we'll just try and make this work as best we can. Uh, and uh, hopefully um, it will be uh, worth, worth uh, taking the time to do that. Um, l- last week I was trying to walk through Jesus' uh, conversation on the Holy Spirit with his disciples. Uh, we got through three of the major uh, texts that deal with that, and I wanted to finish up with the last two because I think they address some of the questions actually that bubbled up in the conversation. So um, if you don't mind, uh, we're just going to try and, and, and look through John 16, two kind of packages of uh, input that Jesus has on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and specifically as reference to our place in the world and our witness in the world. So a couple of the questions uh, that bubbled up uh, from our conversation was, um, uh, here's one of the questions. Uh, Bill, you say that some people don't have the capacity to receive our spiritual discernment. And remember, I was talking about how sometimes we try and teach people to death or we try and, and, and bring our spiritual insight, something we've gained from the Word or whatnot, and bring that to them in our conversation. And they just, they look at us with, with blank eyes. They don't have the capacity to receive it. And in fact, sometimes it becomes a barrier to further conversation. So how do, we, how do we live in such a way, how do we teach, how do we practice in such a way that the way that we live actually makes way and creates a space so that we can speak? And that's good, I want to address that one. And then the second one is how do we confront someone and ask them to come to church? How do we do that? Um, and the short answer to that question is you work on being the church first. Because on the you 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 ask you 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 speak on the platform of your own life, right? Uh, so we live before we speak, and then that creates an environment, a space over time, building a relation. This is the kind of the norm. Most uh, of the time, we're not going to be engaged in confrontational uh, kinds of invitational kinds of things. Now, th- those are okay. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But most of us, the norm is not that. The norm is, I work with this person, we're in the same classroom or we're in the same line in, the, uh, in, in manufacturing or, or they're just over the cubicle from me or we have a lot, you know, we kind of eyeball each other across the lunchroom at, or, or whatever it is. How can I move towards in, invitation? And, and here's Jesus' uh, response to that. John chapter 16 uh, and it begins at verse, um, verse 7. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. So if I go away, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, and notice now what the Spirit does that is not our job to do. First, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So that means, very simply, it's not our job to talk people into feeling bad about life or lifestyle. It's not our job to make people feel guilty. Right? That's not our job. What's our job? 
talked about it last week, just to bear witness to the life of Jesus in you. That's it. Who is it that helps explain that? Who is it that creates an environment in the soul of somebody we're walking with to hear that? It's the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. If he can't do it, you're not going to be able to do it. If he can't get through with his soaking presence, he's really good at what he does. Really good at what he does. And if he can't get behind that barrier and create a space for an explanation of your testimony, then you're not going to be able to do it by banging on the door um, with, with, with shaming language or with condemning language. Remember, that's off the table for us. Conviction is not our capacity. That's only the Holy Spirit. The closest we can come is condemnation. And that's not going to be really helpful to the work of Jesus. So when he does that, what does he do? He convicts the world concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And notice how Jesus defines these. It's very important. Sin, because they don't believe in me. This is a missing of the mark. This is a, 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 a that's what sin means, by the way. Just you, the, the imagery here is of a target. The arrow goes off. That's how sin is defined. We've missed the mark. We've missed the bullseye. We've missed the kind of the, lost our way. And the only way people in the world that you're engaged with, friends that you work with, whatever, are going to be convinced that by not embracing Jesus, they have missed the mark is the work of the Spirit. That's what he does. And it's probably not going to happen all at once. It's probably going to happen over a lifetime. Sometimes it's going to happen over the course of three or four years where we just have conversations, gentle conversations with somebody, right? And they're looking at you and it's like, you do what with your money? Right? Talk to me about how your marriage works. I don't get it. Or, or maybe it's going to be, wait a minute, you've been dating this guy for like six months and you haven't slept together? How, how does that work? How do you negotiate a relationship in which that is not a prominent feature of it? Right? And then you just tell your story. The power of Christ in me enables me to choose a right path. And then sooner or later, the Holy Spirit will create an environment in which they'll say, how can I get some of that? That's, I mean, that's idealistically the case. But how many of you have discovered that's precisely what happens? Right? That's exactly how it works. So he's going to convict the world concerning sin. He's going to convict the world concerning righteousness. Remember, righteousness here is this right standard. It's not up to me to prove that Jesus is superior to everyone. He is. I'm really convinced of that. Any other system... Uh, Jesus is going to be able to, 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 to model that, to take the best of whatever system anybody else believes and live it better than they do. There's no better, and I'm going to run a risk here, but there's no better Buddhist than Jesus. He's not a follower of Buddha, but he embraces the winning concepts of Buddhism in a way that Buddha was never able to do it. This is what convinced, finally, C.S. Lewis to embrace Christ. Except for him, it wasn't Buddhism, it was Hinduism. And he discovered that Jesus got the best of Hinduism right. You, you with me? Now, that's, I hope you don't get me wrong here. because. But the truth is, sooner or later, the Holy Spirit will lead you to righteousness, to a conviction of righteousness. Some people come through an avenue, a door, that brings them to Jesus through an alternate world, an alternate perspective, an alternate... So am I suggesting that Buddhism or Hinduism or other isms are the right way to Jesus? No, but I'm suggesting if you start there, he can get you home in time for dinner. Do you, do you, do you see what I mean? And who is it that does that? Jesus does that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who convicts people concerning righteousness. And thirdly, he is the one that convicts people concerning judgment. 
And judgment here is the simple fact. Notice what he says. Um, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. That is to say, judgment is certain. It's coming. It's already been largely accomplished. So you have to make a decision about who you follow. If you follow the ruler of this world, you share in his judgment. If you attend to the conviction of the Spirit relative to Jesus, you share in his judgment, in his victory. You with me? So I'm, I don't need to threaten people with hell. I don't need to, th I mean, I need to let them know sooner or later there's got to be a place for somebody who won't bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There has to be a place for those folks. Because there, there, there are going to be people, believe it or not, when they see Christ come in the full power and glory of his resurrection, who will simply say, no, thank you very much. Okay. He will honor their right to say no to him. He will. So there's got to be a place, a tiny little place, a negative space in the universe where people who don't want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to remind folks of that reality and that their choices really matter. Because we have a culture, like we, we remember we talked uh, uh, a while ago about the seven deadly sins and the sin of sloth is a huge one. That is the sin of I don't care. The sin of I, it doesn't matter. The sin of whatever. And we say, ah, sin? Yeah, because what it does is disable our capacity to get traction on the meaning of our own lives. Who is it that does give people traction? Who is it that throws sand under the wheels of their life so they can get unstuck? It's the Holy Spirit who does that. Okay? So that's that one. And, and, and as we invite... Yeah, come on. And then uh, in 16, down, down to verse 12... Jesus says the thing that to me is just the most precious of all. I've got a whole bunch more that I wish I could have told you, but you can't bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Why? Because he's not going to speak on his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and disclose it to you. So the Holy Spirit comes to sing the song of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to take what Jesus has taught us and make it applicable. The Holy Spirit will rarely ever talk about himself. The Holy Spirit, if it can use this language, is the shy member of the Trinity. His mission, if you will, is to shine the spotlight full and bright on Jesus, through whom we have access to the love of the Father embodying the love of the Father. So the ministry of the Spirit, according to Jesus, is to help us get Jesus right. Does that, does that make sense? And then he does the same thing with the people you rub shoulders with in, in the world, uh, in your place of employment, in your home. Some of you are the only believer in your family system. The Holy Spirit will take that reality and cause the ripples of your life that vibrates with the Spirit to begin to change your family system without you even knowing how he's doing it. And then one Christmas day, somebody will say, will you say grace at the meal? Will you pray for me? I'm facing a surgery that I don't know how to negotiate. Do, do, do you see? Now, that's the norm. Sometimes we push through that and we do some things that are a little bit more confrontational. Again, I want to partner with the Spirit and not get in His way when He's doing that. Okay? Does that make sense? So any questions you've got, uh, we want to follow through. And, and I think, Darren, you're going to yep. kind of walk us through this. So. Okay, so I'm going to host this. So if you have a question, would you pass it towards the center? And I'm going to walk down the aisle in just a second and collect those. But to begin, so do that right now. Um, and if a question comes up during this time, feel free to just do that. You can just pass it and, I'll, and put it on the floor and I'll just come and pick it up or something. But uh, we'll figure <laughs> out how it goes. We don't have much time, but um, I'm going to start off with these two questions for you, Bill. I'll let you start on these. Um, is there a difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit come upon you? Is there a second anointing of the Holy Spirit or do we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment we turn to Jesus Christ? Good. All right. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Um, 
According to, well, I mean, remember everything that we've talked about here in the last couple of weeks and that Darren talked about the week before. The Holy Spirit is everywhere in this whole process of our becoming disciples of Jesus. We don't, we don't come to Jesus except by the Spirit. We don't grow in Jesus except by the Spirit. So I get really nervous, candidly, when we really kind of slice and dice and bifurcate things that the Spirit does at this time and so on and so forth. However, there does seem to be an, uh, an invitation to an ongoing relationship with the Spirit that is subsequent to salvation. So then, in other words, we come to faith in Christ. Maybe we've followed Jesus for long enough. We've become convinced by the application of the Spirit that Jesus has got life together. And we make a, a, a declaration of faith in Him. That is by the power of the Spirit. We receive the Spirit as kind of a down payment of the life that is to come, right? So we, 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 we come to faith as a result of the work of the Spirit. Now, is the Holy Spirit done? No, there is, to me, adequate witness in Scripture. Acts chapter 2 is clearly one of them, uh, where, where there is, having believed, this invitation to more and more and more. So the difference is, in salvation, the Holy Spirit becomes, begins to take up residence in us. But then we can be soaked in, saturated in, immersed in the life of the Spirit. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, um, see, I can quote Scripture too. In, in, in chapter 5, he wanted me to always point to the text of Scripture, and I can't remember everything all the time. So I this gave one you I this one, by the way. I think you, I gave you, you, you give me this one? Okay, fine. I'll take it from wherever I get it. Um, Verse 18? Yeah. Okay, yeah, 518. Go ahead. What okay, does it I'll say? read it. It says, do not get drunk with wine. For that is just the... stop there for just a minute. Is there beer in there anywhere? <laughs> Maybe Guinness? Nope. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Ouch, that was personal. <laughs> Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want me to hit on this, or do you want to... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, the, the contrast here is that you can fill yourself with something, something that's debaucherous like wine. Becoming alcoholic, just filling yourself... And the contrast is filling yourself with something that's damaging versus filling yourself with the Holy Spirit. And, um, the, 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 but it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a present passive imperative in the Greek, so that means it should be read something like this. You must continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's this, this thing of, uh, that's happening continually. It's like every day you're being filled. Just like every day you can be filled with wine if you want something bad to happen to you. Every day you can be being filled, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what, um, what Bill's talking about, and I love this because I didn't understand this. That question is something that I used to have. It's like, wait, I thought we received the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus. Yes, but there's this process of expanding our capacity to receive God in us. There's this, this inner man where, where our soul be, begins to permeate with the presence of Jesus. It's not just about the gifts where we're, we're doing crazy things like healing people. The Spirit wants to heal through us. That, that's going to happen. But the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, I'm sorry, the, um, the fruit of the Spirit begins to permeate in us to where when our wife is, is talking mean to us, we, we respond. I'm not saying that Alex does that. That's not at all. But we learn to respond with self-control. We learn to be patient in times where we don't want to be patient. But that's, that's what, what, kind of what they're talking about. Paul's, Paul wants us to understand that we can grow in our ability to receive God. Right. And, and I think the other element of this, too, is that in addition to all of that, there are some unique phenomenological experiences of the Spirit that we see evident throughout the Old Testament as well as into the New Testament that involve ecstatic speech and language that people sometimes hadn't learned. You see this in Moses, for example, in the book of Numbers, where the Spirit comes upon some of the elders and they begin to speak in a prophetic, ecstatic utterance that they hadn't previously had the ability to do. It occurs in Saul when he is anointed to be the king and the school of the prophets. So there is a prophetic speech that often accompanies that. Um, this is the thing that gets everybody all nervous, but I don't think we need to be nervous when the Holy Spirit invites us. So I grew up in a tradition 
that has, has defined itself as wanting to preserve for the church the gift of speaking in tongues. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but there's also, apart from that, two other functions of that gift. One, and this is reference to one of the questions, so I'm kind of just jumping in, sorry. But the second one, third, second one is in, in, um, in also 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about his ability to pray in the Spirit. And, and what he's saying there is, I have received this gift and I'm going to use it to intercede for the church. I'm going to use it to worship God. Tongues is always about prayer and about praise. Prayer and praise. That's the function of that, 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 that gift. Um, and then, so it, it, it also occurs at least three times in the book of Acts. It occurs regularly in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit comes upon waiting people and empowers them to speak in a language they didn't learn or empowers them to speak words they didn't have previous cognition of in a prophetic sense. And I don't want to um, um, back away because I think today, I've got to be honest, I think in the world that we live in, especially the church world that we live in, I don't want to be afraid of, of, um, of some craziness on the edges that results in our simply backing away from the phenomenon of the Spirit. Um, so I want, I want the, full, uh, the full filling of the Spirit in however He wants to come, whatever He wants to do. I, I'd love our church to be a place um, where, where the Holy Spirit can just blow. Now, we're going to, I mean, candid, candidly, you know, when the wind blows, all the loose shutters rattle. And looking at the crowd, we've got some loose shutters. Uh, 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 so when, 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 that, when that happens, it's okay. That's why God's appointed pastors, to say, mm, not so much. Right? Let's not do that. But on the other hand... Boy, if you've got a word from the Lord for us as a, a, a word of wisdom or a, 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 a word of knowledge that will inform our praying, man, I want, uh, let's take advantage of that because yeah. we can't do church without the Holy Spirit. We just can't. Um, change that. We can, but I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's good. And we can't be the church without the Holy Spirit. Bill, you touched on something that I think most of us probably have uh, really a lack of understanding in. You talked about tongues. And there's a couple questions on here. One says, um, uh, can someone, well, this kind of goes in with it, but can someone be a believer and not be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Hit on that second. I want to talk about the tongue thing. Um, why do some people speak in tongues when they are filled with the Holy yeah. Spirit and some never do? One other question was, I've been a believer for 20 years and I've never spoken in tongues. What does this mean? Um, and if, if you ask for a prayer language, speaking in tongues, um, will that bring some type of spiritual growth if God gives you that gift? So, and maybe distinguish between the two because I think that's helpful. Yeah. Um, why do some people uh, speak in tongues or give ecstatic language and others don't? I don't know. I wish I did. I've pastored for 35 years and prayed with hundreds of people to receive, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I don't, I don't understand that entirely. Um, sometimes, candidly, we don't want to. It, it's terrifying, and, and it feels weird and strange, and so we're just... And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never knock down the door of your life if you don't... That's good. Right? So there's, there, there's some of the, sometimes that... But sometimes I think we want the gift of tongues more than we want the infilling of the Spirit. That's good. So we're seeking after some experience, mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit is not really interested in playing our silly little games. That's so good. Right? So he wants you to be filled with the fullness of God. And if your speaking in tongues is going to get in the way of your discipleship, if it becomes a matter, for example, of pride, if it becomes... You'll notice this in the book of Acts. How, how miracles are so prevalent in the early part and about three-quarters of the way through, they just almost disappear in the narrative. It's like, what happened? Did the Holy Spirit lose the ability to heal people? Or No, he just realized that we were starting to make miracles the point, not the life in Christ. You see? So he's, he's very happy to just say, you know what, I can empower you to deal with your disease. I could heal you if I wanted but maybe it's more helpful for you in growth to Christ likeness to deal with your sickness. So I'll empower that 
And by the way, that is as much a work of the Spirit as anything else phenomenologically. Does that make sense? Having said that, I want to say, let's create spaces in our own individual lives, in our life groups, in our church community, in which we can just say, Holy Spirit, come. However you want to come. Whatever you want to do. However you want to do it. Take charge, right? And if, and if the outcome is ecstatic speech, so be it. If the outcome is uh, releasing joy and laughter, so be it. If the outcome is a dancing in the spirit, so be it. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are hearing me say those words and you're just saying, my God, what kind of a nutcase have I gotten myself into? Here's the deal. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit with your life. You just have to. And frankly, he is sensitive to your particular anxieties. But sometimes his way of dealing with them is to blow a hole in your theology. Right? So don't, don't, be, don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. At some point, you're going to have to trust the community. But press in to know the Lord. Press in to wait. When I was a kid growing up, we had a, a practice called um, uh, tarrying. And it's just a matter of just waiting. Waiting on the Spirit for what He wants to do. And, and I want to encourage you, whether individually. So it's not, I'm not going to ask God for any gift particularly, although I might in that particular case. And the short answer is, does having that capacity to pray in another language increase your uh, um, uh, spirituality? It's one of the things that can do that, yes. Because it's a way, are you going to okay. breathe in anymore? Yeah, I'm going to breathe. I love the way it's, <sighs> and then, then, I, then I time my, the thing, my yep. next thing for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it, remember, the one, Paul says the one who speaks in another tongue edifies himself. It is a way of growth. It is a way of maturing. It is a way of development. Okay, so I'm going to go now. <laughs> um, first of all, your questions are in- amazing. Um, and I don't think we're going to get to all of them because you should re- I'll read some of them to you. But okay. um, I just want to tell a quick story about this, what, what Bill's talking about. Because to me, I grew up in a church... We didn't talk about this. We didn't talk about tongues. And then I, I came to an understanding of faith that was a little less biblically accurate, which was that tongues are not for today, the spiritual gifts not for today. And then I stepped into the theological approach, which was, hey, this is for today, but I haven't experienced any of this stuff, but I believe it theologically and mentally, and I believe it in my heart. And there came a season where I just prayed, hey, God, I want to, if this is for, for me, will you just give me the gift? And I was what Bill was describing at, in college. I was just this guy that was desiring the gift. Uh, versus desiring God and I never received anything and I wasn't in a church that was saying hey we believe in it let's pray for you and let's encourage like community to come around and pray for you so I didn't have any of that so finally I kind of gave up and I'll I'll tell you my story and I've never heard this so uh, I I never heard people from the pulpit talking like this so just take this with a a grain of salt and just know that this is my testimony but um, one day I, I knowing I believe in the gifts. I believe in all those things. I was just walking to a mailroom when I was on campus at a school, writing a paper at like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm praying out loud to God as I walk because I was so passionate about Jesus. Um, just kidding. That was a joke at the time. <laughs> but maybe you all believe that. So that's cool. <laughs> um, no, but I, I really was praying out loud. And I just said, God, I just want you however you come. That was my prayer, out loud. And I start speaking in gibberish. That's literally what I felt. I'm like, I'm just going with it. There wasn't this mysterious, like the winds came down. I saw an angel and the light said, you're my beloved son. And I'm just like, no, that didn't happen. But I I, I stopped myself because this is so theologically weird for me. I have God in this box and it's perfect. (laughs) And, And so I immediately call my girlfriend, who is my wife now, Alex, and she's up north. And I said, babe, who, you know, at the time didn't necessarily disagree with this, but never experienced it herself. And she's like, well, if it's God, you know, just pray and he'll figure it out. Um, so I just kind of stopped. But literally, she puts the phone down and her friend from New Jersey calls her. And this friend, I used to, de- I used to debate her about the spiritual gifts that they were not for today. And she was this crazy charismatic. She calls Alex three hours ahead and says, Darren just received the gift of tongues. You need to tell him right now. I'm not kidding. This is my experience. 
So she calls me back, freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? I'm like, I don't even know what I did. But that was my journey, and it's still weird, and it's something that I move towards. I believe in it, and I, you know, it's not this mystical thing, but I just hopefully that demystifies and, and makes it normal for you, that it's not this, hey, come here and repeat these words, blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're going to do. But it's about desiring Jesus. That's it. Cool? Yeah. All right, Bill. Um, um, somebody just uh, uh, just snapshot. I'm using language that's familiar to me but not, might not be to everybody else. And thanks for the question that wanted me to clarify. Things like a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul lists nine specific ways that the Holy Spirit helps to develop the church. Among that list are things like a word of knowledge wherein an individual receives from the Holy Spirit an awareness of a situation. What you just heard Darren talk about was happening back in New Jersey. She had knowledge of something that had happened three hours hence by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows stuff. He can tell you in a way that's helpful for the body. A word of wisdom is a gift given to the church through an individual in which facing difficulties or circumstances of confusion or chaos the Holy Spirit will help us see a way of understanding how those things can come together in new ways. So it's literally wisdom that does not come from their own experience. It does not come from their own education. It does not come from their kind of sussing out the details of a situation, but it is received by the Spirit. And so supernatural capacity to put pieces together in a way that pulls knowledge for the sake of wisdom. And there are others, and we'll talk about those as we, as we continue to develop yeah. our, our theology of the That's Spirit. Good. In this. That's great. Okay, this is a good one, um, there's, and this hits kind of four different questions. Uh, so I'll just read them all. How, how did you or how do we learn to recognize the voice of the Spirit in us? Um, how does one know when the Holy Spirit is guiding us and not another spirit that feels good and isn't? And um, what does the Holy Spirit sound like? How do I know the difference between hearing the Holy Spirit and my own voice? So yeah. maybe um, probably the best approach to that, to that series of things is to measure whatever you're hearing against the text of Scripture. Um, the Holy Spirit will never say anything that contradicts Scripture. There will always be a resonance with what Jesus has said, and not just with what Jesus has said, but how Jesus has said it. In other words, the Holy Spirit will never violate the character of Christ. We had another question, for example, about uh, blaming the Holy Spirit for highly intentional, highly inflammatory, highly uh, confrontational language in witnessing. The Holy Spirit rarely ever, ever, ever does that. And if he does, it is clear and precise. This is not somebody's rant. This is, this is a word from the Lord you need to pay attention. And it is received that way by the person who hears it, as well as kind of almost shocking to the person who speaks it. So the norm is going to be a gentle, persuasive resonance with the words and the way of Jesus. Right? So how do I tell the difference? How do I recognize the voice of the Spirit? Uh, as you mature and as you develop, what will begin to happen more than anything else is a gentle inclination, a bubbling up of a, of a phrase or an idea or something that you're not sure. Is, it from, is this something I'm thinking about? Is this what the Spirit's doing? My first thing is to ask, is it true? Does it resonate with what I know of Jesus and, and how he operates? Sometimes I've been instructed by the Spirit in some fairly significant ways that take me off, you know, go over here, do this. And I've learned over the years in, in listening to that to take the risk. If I feel like an idiot, okay. You know, I was just trying to, trying to get that. Um, I'm rarely ever going to tell myself to do stuff like that. Right? So now that's not going to be the norm. For the most part, the norm is going to be this gentle kind of impression and kind of a, almost like a leaning, and I'm going to try and attend to that. Uh, the Holy Spirit's voice, however, will probably sound a whole lot like yours. And so I'm not going to spend a huge amount of energy trying to discern one way or the other. I'm just going to ask, is it true? Does this resonate with the character of Christ? Um, 
So I'm going to try and attend to that. Can I get into trouble? Yes. Do I trust the Holy Spirit anyway to get me back if I've gone off aside? Yes. Is that... Good. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I think for me, as, as we talk about how do we discern the Holy Spirit's voice versus ours, I kind of, there's three primary things that I, I like to teach people. First, it's an intimacy of, uh, with Jesus. That's good. Um, you don't know, like, how does, how, does, how does a child know his mom's voice when, when there's a bunch of kids playing on the pa- playground and there's a bunch of moms? Well, it's time spent with the parent. So in the same way, we have to develop a, a, an ongoing, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that doesn't happen on Sundays, that doesn't happen at the prayer event. It happens in the, in the quietness of your home. First thing when you wake up, when you go to bed, it's just you've got to know your shepherd's voice. So it's intimacy with Jesus. The second is intimacy with the Word of God. As Bill says, you need to de- we need to develop the, the framework, the foundation for who this Jesus is. We have the text of Scripture. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the more we understand, the more we memorize, the more we learn about the Word, oftentimes in prayer, those things start bubbling up. And it's confirming maybe the, the prompting that God gives you, the Word of knowledge or, or whatever it is. Um, it's going to come out of in, intimacy with, with, with the Word of God. And the third thing that I always teach people is intimacy with self. We have to develop a core, uh, a strong sense of self when we pray for people. And that means, is this, is this me or is this, is this God speaking to me? Is this my insecurity? Is this my junk? Is this my so-and-so or is this for this person? And so you test it through those lens. And so you, you journal and spend time understanding the way your mind works. Spend time under, understanding how God has spoken to you throughout history of your life. You know, because... Um, for some of us, we're going to see pictures in our mind. We're going to have we're going to have visual understanding of, of God, the Spirit coming to us and giving us visual pictures. Some of us might hear things, literally either you know audible things or the inner inner ear. We're going to hear kind of an impression from the Lord. Um, some of us might just get a sense a feeling of some sort. So you, that what will help is knowing yourself well enough to know and to learn how God speaks to you throughout time. The one thing I probably want to say on this is that don't make those things the marks of maturity or the marks of spirituality. The Mm -hmm. marks of spirituality are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, temperance, goodness, and faithfulness. That's good. That comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Okay, let me get that. What is that? Um, And it, it is the kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in people's lives when he is given an opportunity over time. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence, you become more fully yourself. Say that. We touch on that a little yeah. more. That's good. The, the thing that often happens when I walk with people through this is that when I give my life to Jesus, I have to stop being who I am. No, you become more fully who you are. The Holy Spirit will not empower the false self. He will only empower the true self. So when Jesus says or God says rather in the Psalms, I want to give you the desires of your heart. Right? Many of us don't even know what that is. Or, knowing, have capacity for our own desires yet. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to enable us and empower us to be more fully ourselves, to be more like Christ. Because the more like Christ you are, the more yourself you will be. Right? So that's, that's, that's part of that. So don't make, again, that phenomenology, don't make that the goal. I want to hear the audible voice. I've never heard the audible voice. I've been following Jesus for 55 years. Never once have I heard a voice from outside really? of my head. And only never. three. Yeah. <laughs> some, some of us need, need <laughs> more than others. Um, just saying. Um, and, and, and only three times have I had what I would say is just this clear, undef- what Darren referred to as this inner voice that, that was so clear and precise and unequivocal that it caused me in one case to buy a house uh, because I knew I was going to be, uh, become an associate pastor. I hadn't even been interviewed for the second interview on the thing, and I bought a house because I knew Judy and I were moving to Southern California. I just knew it. Why? Because... She and I both had that inner sense, this is the place. So uh, that's only three times. The norm is probably going to be something much more gentle and much more organic and much more out of the, 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 the center of life rather than from the external.
That's good. We're going to do about 10 more minutes. Um, is, are you guys having a good time with this? This, this maybe we, we might need to do more of this. This is fun. Um, well, that should be the qualification. If fun? it's fun, we should do more of it. Um, hey, John 15 says... <laughs> no, I'll read a question, but let me just uh, make a funny point. So that my, your joy may be complete. Um, it's the ministry of Jesus. Okay, so... Uh, there's, First there's Peter quite a, chapter 5, sh- whatever. verse on. 1, respect Romans, your uh, elders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't look down because of your youth or something no. like that? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what it says. But Bless, by example. Blessed by... <laughs> hey, Methuselah, we can go on. Oh. Okay. Okay, um... Uh, Hey, so I'll answer this another time. We're going to do training in um, prayer and the Holy Spirit uh, as we move along with ministry classes in the future. But this is a big question. What's, uh, how does the Holy Spirit differ in the Old Testament versus the New Testament? Just, I mean, I'll, I'll even just yeah. speak. Uh, the Old Testament, it's very clear. The Holy Spirit comes for a very particular purpose, for a very, on a very particular person, for a very particular time. So it's, it's very specific throughout the Old Testament. It's the same Spirit of God in the New Testament. And then the New Testament comes, and it kind of is available, Joel chapter 2. It's available for all of us. Do you want to you touch on that? Yeah, uh, that, that's exactly it. It's always time and task specific, and when it's done, it's done. With a couple of exceptions um, in the Old Testament. The thing that amazed people about Jesus was the fact of the permanent residence of the Holy Spirit upon him. And then when he uses the language that he does in John that we've spent time in the last two weeks, the disciples are starting to understand a theology in which they too can receive this indwelling of the Spirit that is a, a, a down payment uh, of, of the life of the age uh, that is to come. So at the end of John, he breathes on them after the resurrection. He says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And there is then this awareness that, wait, this is, this, is, this is it. This is not leaving. Like the prophets of old, we, ordinary fishermen, now have that same capacity of the life of the Spirit to live the life that Jesus lived. So that's the primary difference. Great, yeah. um, here's a fun one, and maybe do it in two minutes. What does grieving the Holy Spirit mean? Oh. What does grieving yeah, yeah, the Holy yeah, Spirit yeah, yeah, mean? Yeah, grieving the Holy Spirit... Um, is the unforgivable sin. Uh, those are two different kinds of things. Okay. Uh, unforgivable sin is to blame the devil or to assign responsibility to the enemy for what you know to be the work of the Holy Spirit. It comes in a context, Jesus defines it when people in, who are the religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees, are looking at what he does, healing people, proclaiming the kingdom, Raising the dead in this particular instance, cleansing the leper, etc., embracing the poor, right? They're seeing what Jesus does. They're knowing that it is a mark of a man of God, a prophet from God. And in order to preserve their political ascendancy, assign responsibility for those things to the devil. And Jesus says, foul. You're no longer playing the same game. What If you assign to the enemy what you know to be a work of the Spirit, you have cut yourself off from the work of the Spirit. Now here's the deal. If you're anxious about that, you haven't done it. How do I know? Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of sin. If you're feeling conviction, if you're feeling anxiety about it, that is clear proof that you haven't committed that, right? So does, does that make sense? Grieving the Holy Spirit is violating the boundaries of community. He uses it in a very specific way in Thessalonians where, where, where the community is being fragmented by gossip and backbiting and, 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 and various other things. And, and the Holy Spirit has, is, is, we haven't even had a chance to touch on this in our conversation, but one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in a community is bring unity. That's what he provides in Ephesians chapter uh, 4. He, he brings unity. 
And, and when we work at cross-purposes with the Spirit, He wants to unify, and we shred and destroy, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. That's the primary way in which that shows up. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. All right, we'll do one more. Um, this is a good one. What is our role as believers when churches or others are doing damage by claiming to be doing things, quote, in the Spirit, end quote? Or by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is our role? Yeah, what is our role? What would you say our role is? If to mind our own business. Is that in here? Yes. Good. Do you want to, do you want to point? No, what I'm trying to get I at agree. there is God's... Let me say this one more time so people can get it. Because I just somebody asked if I could repeat that. Yeah. All right. What is our role as, as believers when churches or others are doing damage by claiming and, and by quote-unquote doing things in the Spirit... Or by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So they're claiming that this is, this is the Holy Spirit and it's doing, it's doing damage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I get asked about stuff like that, I have no hesitation in saying that just doesn't seem like Jesus to me. Right? But I'm not going to go after a, a, another of God's servants. You know, they're not my kids. So I'm going to mind my own business. What do I mean by that? I'm going to try and live in a life empowered by the Spirit as wisely and as well as I can and just keep my eyes focused on what he's put in front of me. What he does, what other people are doing, none of my business. That's one of the reasons why, by the way, I don't go traipsing off all over the place trying to find events or situations or where the Spirit is doing this or that or the other. I just, that's not what he's asked me to do. He's just kind of mind your own business. That's, by the way, is First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6. Make it your business to mind your own business. Work with your hands. That's good. Don't be a, a, a burden on the, on the society. Uh, and in that way, by doing good, you will have greater impact uh, and, and so on. So this is, remember we talked about this uh, in other contexts. Way back in the Sermon on the Mount, we don't send them money. We don't necessarily have to do a rant on our blog about them. We can just kind of... Let Jesus take care of the, the people on the fringe. If, on the other hand, I see somebody who is damaged by that kind of thing, if they come to me or if I have pastoral responsibility for them, then I'm going to then I'm going to come alongside and we'll we'll go out for coffee and and we'll talk about how to pull back from from the from the precipice. Does, does that make sense? Um, but you do need to know, and that question really raises a good thing. Not everything the Holy Spirit gets blamed for is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saddened that we even have to say that. But the truth is, in, especially in our phenomenologically centered 21st century North American celebrity culture, that kind of thing is, is creating a bad taste in the mouth of, of people who are otherwise hungry and longing for the work of the Spirit and need Him desperately. So I want to I push back with an authentic life and lifestyle. And, and I'm going to pray that God would destroy the children of uh, the, 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 the people, uh, save the people in the dark while destroying the darkness. And, and so, anyway, yeah, I don't and, know. And that. just I want to add on to that. If, if something like that is happening within our church, the role of the elders, the role of the pastors and the staff is to, uh, there's a, a few functions they have. They have, they have the role of overseeing the church to make sure theologically, and, and everything that's happening within our church is, is, is going the way God wants it to go um, for the local church. Also to govern the church, to bring sense of order and governance to, to the group of community that claims to be a local church. And then the, the other part is to shepherd. And with a shepherd comes a caring for the souls of the community when things are bad, when things are hard, to walking, walking with people in life, but also to protect so one of the roles that we have as leaders, and we have a, a, a huge leadership team, is that we want to care and protect for this, this community from stuff happening. And at the same time, we want to give space for the Holy Spirit and bring a, a sensitive, safe place uh, for the Holy Spirit to come while maintaining order and protecting and, and caring for that. Okay? Sound good? All right, so there's, I mean, those were most of the questions, and we could probably do this more. There were, there were a number of other questions that didn't specifically relate to the work and ministry of the Spirit, uh, but I've, we've taken these, and we're going to,
kind of uh, try and find ways to address some of those questions. I'm sorry we just didn't have time for it this yeah. morning, but we want to, um, especially the guy who's looking for how to meet a godly woman, um, we want to make sure that he gets uh, eHarmony.com. Yeah. <laughs> so good, Bill. Um, it's fun working with you up here, man. Seriously. <laughs> Never You're again. You're funny. Huh? Yeah, no. <laughs> man. Um, should do a routine or something, stand up, you know? Uh, you're a lot funnier with me, though. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, we, if you do have more questions, if you put them on Facebook, if you have access to Facebook, Bill and I will check it and we'll try to answer them um, via Facebook. So I'll give you that as a. Or even if outlet. somebody wants to go out and grab coffee or just talk about stuff after church, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that, too. Do you want me to, let's put his number on the. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So uh, to close this, this morning, I thought, you know, Brian and the worship team, they're going to come up, so why don't you guys come up here. Um, but I don't know what you were feeling or sensing. We didn't really have a, a landing, but, I, you know, I thought it would be fun this morning because fun is the, the key. It, uh, if we could just give space uh, for prayer for each other. Uh, and we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, in my journey um, and really desiring God, desiring Jesus, desiring the Holy Spirit, learning about Him, and wanting more. Some of the most uh, powerful moments have been in, in gatherings like this where there was space for individuals to stand up, to come forward, or to stay where they're at, and to receive prayer from the community. And, and, and that type of prayer that I, I received throughout my journey was just a prayer of, I want more. I want more of God. I want more of Jesus. Um, I, I hear about the Holy Spirit. I hear about the gifts. I look at my life, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't experience that, but I just want whatever it is He wants for me. And sometimes that, that just comes with us standing up and having people come around us and just praying God's blessing. God's, God's, uh, God wants to give you the desires of His heart when it's like that. And so I, I just thought that would be a great place for us to land this, this morning, is if, if you're, you're hearing us talk about the Holy Spirit, and it's like, yes. I love it. I want more. I just want to invite you to stand um, where you're at right now. And we're going we're gonna to begin this response with prayer. So just stand up wherever you are. We want to come around you and pray um, that the, the Holy Spirit would just will do that work in you. Awesome. Thank you. Just stand up wherever you are. Great. Great. All right. The worship's going to begin. And um, we're going to come around and just pray for you. If you're standing next to someone... Um, go ahead and put a hand on them and begin to pray for them. But I would love, if you've been trained to um, in our life groups or prayer team, would you just go and make sure that every single person gets prayer um, and then we'll continue to worship. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegarden.com lb.org I come to wait